0: Hi and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host Russ Hayworth and in each episode I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you I'm here to help and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash workwithruss. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the family business podcast i am joined today by family law partner zara Pabani from erwin mitchell and we are going to be talking about uh, one of the particular challenges that comes along when divorce happens in the family business but before we get into that zara perhaps you could introduce yourself and give our audience a bit of background
1: Yes, Russ, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, as you've said, I'm a family law partner at Irwin Mitchell. I deal predominantly with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients in relation to divorce, children matters, but predominantly finance on marriage and relationship breakdown. And myself and the team at IM... Have extensive experience of dealing with divorce within the family business. From a personal point of view, I'm a full-time working mum of a three-year-old, which is always fun and interesting. But also, my family were wealthy business owners in Uganda in the 70s, and my, as part of that, my family were we were all Ugandan refugees in the Idi Amin era. So I know very very well what it feels like to build from scratch after you've had a lot and then had nothing and then want to preserve that wealth. So divorce and the family business, as you look at that and you think about it, it's preservation of wealth. How do you deal with that wealth when you've worked so hard to build it up? So that's where I'm coming from today, Russ.
0: Fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the detail around what you've seen with with clients that you've worked with and perhaps what families um, can do listening to this. If Something as disruptive as a divorce happens within their um, family and family business. What they can do to make that often bad situation a little bit better? We mentioned that kind of divorce is almost like a a finality thing for uh, a relationship within a family business, but we, we don't necessarily want to start with that bit of the the process. I think it would be sensible for us to look at how perhaps even as couples who are looking to go into business together what they can do from the outset to protect themselves and protect the business should things go wrong a little bit later on I'm guessing that's something that you don't necessarily see as often as you do with the the divorce side of things perhaps getting a little bit uh, tricky as a result of that not happening would that be fair
1: well no interestingly we're seeing it more and more people are opening their eyes a little bit more I mean Falling in love is an amazing thing and building a relationship and a family is incredible. Building a business alongside that is also fantastic, but it needs thought. It needs serious consideration in terms of how you're going to do that. So we give a lot out to the public. We try and raise awareness around entering into a business. So we would say, for example, if you're a A young couple and you're going to go into business together as well as into a you're in a relationship and you're going to go into business together and perhaps you're also going to live together for the first time um, and amalgamate your finances we would talk to people about wealth protection tools so for example if you were going to live together we talk about a living together agreement now a living together agreement can encompass what happens if the relationship breaks down and it can also set out some ideas about what would happen to the business In the same way, if you're a couple who have been together for a long time and you've built a business together and then you're embarking upon marriage, well, then you should be thinking about a a prenuptial agreement. And again, these things are happening more and more. Prenups are not just for the rich, wealthy and famous. They're about people who want to protect something, a business, a pot of money. However much that money is, whether it be millions or hundreds of thousands or smaller, If you need to protect it, then there is a way to do so. So we would always advise thinking about wealth protection tools when in a relationship and entering into a situation where you're going to amalgamate your finances or be in a family business. But also, Ross, and I'm sure this is where you come in as well, isn't it? When you're setting up a family business, obviously sometimes it's very tax efficient to have spouses as employees, shareholders, directors and they may or may not have an involvement in the business. Now, I always turn around to people and say, you want to be careful about that, because on a divorce, you're going to pay pay more out on a divorce than you would pay to the taxman. Mm-hmm. But so you do need to think carefully, and Russ, I know you talk about family charters, when we're looking at the family business. So even from a setup stage, you should be thinking about the shareholders agreement, the articles of association, and thinking about what you need and what, what classes of shares you're going to allocate to other family members? And the other thing that I've seen quite a lot, Ross, is that siblings in business together may say to each other, well, if any of us get married, we should all do prenups. And this can be paced into a family charter, yeah. or we're all going to do living together agreements. We're going to carefully think about if any of our relationships fail and our spouses or partners are involved, how do we deal with that? So there's a yeah. such a huge amount you can do and it's prevention Yeah. because who wants to pay a lot of money to lawyers when we're looking at a divorce at the end of the line? Who wants divorce lawyers and other experts crawling over a family business and getting it valued? You want to preserve that business so let's think carefully about how we set it up.
0: Yeah absolutely and I completely agree with what you're saying about having those discussions when things are okay as well because uh, I mean, I don't think we're saying that if somebody's going to propose that they go down on one knee with an engagement ring in one hand and a prenup in the other and kind of say, <laughs> if you say yes, you need, you need to sign <laughs> this. But but having those discussions as a family, if there is a family business in, involved, having that discussion as a family and agreeing perhaps to put it into a, a family charter or it, if not that formalised, just have an agreement amongst you as a family that b- because this business is more than just us as individuals. It's probably best that we look at ways to protect that. So as a family, can we agree that if we're looking at um, getting married, that we look at prenuptial agreements, if it is uh, something where there's perhaps a child within the business setting up their own enterprise, getting some guidance on, well, let's look at what the most appropriate share structure is, that's a realistic reflection of what's happening rather than just letting the sort of tax tail wag that particular um, dog around the structuring. But having those discussions early and planning that early whilst things are good, in my experience that helps to position the the fact that there's a likely to be a prenup when people get into those religion, because it's not a surprise it's not something that all of a sudden out of the blue the day before oh by the way sign here
1: now absolutely i totally agree with you and the other thing is isn't it isn't it the thing that you and i do we give clients options forewarned is forearmed because sometimes you give people this advice and information and they say listen we don't want to do that that that's not going to happen to us now I can always turn around from experience and say listen I know you feel like it's not going to happen but the reality is it might so let's let's protect against that but as far as I'm concerned you know it's up to the families so we give them the options we give them the advice and guidance forewarned is forearmed mm. so if it does end up in a problem situation at least they knew they could have done something about it and at least we can say okay look hindsight is a wonderful thing we didn't do that so let's start from here but I firmly believe that the conversations you're talking about don't happen enough, quick enough, uh-huh. early on enough. Because you and I both know it's not just about one conversation. It's about starting the conversation and that communication are happening over a period of time yes. until we get to the agreement that we should look at these documents or a charter or what we're going to do in the short, medium and long term.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, whether it be a living together agreement, a prenuptial agreement or There's another beast called a post-nuptial agreement that you can do, which is whilst you are married and entering into a business, changing the way that you want to run things. So get the advice. Speak to you. Speak to me. Speak to your trusted advisors, whoever they are, an accountancy firm, a law firm, somebody like you. Get the advice and have the conversation. It doesn't matter when you have it. It'd be great to have it before you enter into business. But if somebody's listening and they think, oh, we never did that, it's okay. Why not have a chat now and see how we could put some boundaries in place, assess where we're at, where we've been, where we want to go, where are we at now? Let's just have a chat about it.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's a danger when we're talking about things like living together agreements and i'd like to get into a little bit of the detail around what can be contained in there in a second but living together re- agreements and prenuptial um agreements that, that it can take some of the romance away from the kind of relationship and oh god this is all a bit formal and you know this is supposed to be this really fun and exciting time but the reality is it doesn't it doesn't take away necessarily from that it, at all it's almost cementing it and if you're entering it into in in good faith and you're having conversations and open and honest about it you can almost have a bit of a laugh with it as well and go well you know the the statistics show that is it one in three or one in two marriages ending in in divorce now therefore if we're part of that statistic let's at least make sure that we we've had this bit first and foremost
1: you know if they're business people they want to have an element of protection, and yeah. yes, of course, I can't, I can't lie. It's of course not romantic, but the reality is this: love is not love. I mean, I might be a divorce lawyer, but trust me, I'm happily married, and I'm all about the love. Love is not love without trust, honesty, and respect. And part of love is financial security. Uh-huh. So whether you're going in first time, but particularly second or third time, you want to know that you're protected. Particularly say if you're the entrepreneur who's built up this incredible business and then you've met somebody amazing and you want to live with them, marry them, involve them in the business, and you've you've kind of done everything yourself. You want to know that what you've done pre-relationship is going to be protected for yourself or down your bloodline, for example. And it's far more, it's far less romantic if you end up in a courtroom. I mean, that's not a nice place to be. So Have that early conversation. And the we coach people on how to have the conversation. We don't just say, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. over a glass of wine and dinner, say, listen, we're going to have a prenup. What do you think about that? We coach people on how to have that conversation and how to bring it up. And really, some people quite rightly hide behind their trusted advisors because that's where it's coming from. Listen, my accountant says we need to look at this. And actually... If everything fell apart I'd want you to feel safe and secure because I love you yes. and you're the mother of, or father of my child and I want us to have an element of security where we're great and everything's going to be okay but if it wasn't for any reason in the same way for example they need to do a will yes. you know where we're alive and well now but if something terrible happens What's going to happen to our money? What's going to happen to our kids? Let's do the will. Let's think about anything else we need to do. And you can hide behind your trusted advisors. The accountant, the lawyer, um, the the family advisor is saying this to us. We pay them a lot of money. Let's listen to them at least.
0: Let's explore it. I think as well, there, there's often, I've spoken about it on a previous episode, where there's this assumption that if you make a will, it means you're gonna die. <laughs> and there's no kind of correlation. <laughs> just because exactly. you have prenups or living together agreements doesn't mean, it doesn't you know, tempt fate and, and put a, a black cloud over the relationship. It is just there to deal with if certain circumstances arise.
1: Absolutely, and as I say, actually, Second or third time round in a relationship when people have been stunned once, bitten, twice shy and all that, people are more likely to want to do it. Mm. First time round is much harder. It is much harder. People, you know, they are so excited about everything they're going to get into quite rightly, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a business. And they just think, well, you know, we love each other. We trust each other. It's going to be fine. And I yep. get that. I totally get that. But you and I both know the statistics show a different story. So yes, I mean at least take the advice is what I would say. Yeah. And then you can prevent so much. Uh. You really can. And actually having honest discussions about money. So even if you're not going to do the prenup, postnup, or living together agreement, okay. Let's say you're not going to do any of those things because they're not attractive to you. You don't want to pay a lawyer to do them. You're not interested. Okay, that's fine. I have other conversations with clients, and I say if you're not going to do any of these things. Can we strategically think about how you are going to intermingle the money? Uh-huh. All your inheritance, are you going to put it into the family business because you're giving half of it away then, depending uh-huh. on how the shareholding sits? All your, you know, the way you're going to structure your property within the family business. Let's think about how you're going to structure your, structure your finances at the very least. And then at least I can sow some seeds with them. And at least they've got that element there. And often what we see, Russ, as well is, it's the parents, isn't it, in the business or the, the matriarch, the patriarch, the people at the, the, the hierarchy who then are looking to their children and saying, listen, if we're going to pass this business wealth down or if we're going to open up this business to our children, sometimes they don't like their spouses mm-hmm. or partners
2: yeah. or
1: sometimes they're just concerned that they want it in the blood. They mm-hmm. want it in the bloodline. So they want to make sure it passes to child to grandchild. Whereas if there's a divorce or a relationship breakup, there can be a tack from the spouse or partner. So that's sometimes where it can filter down from with parents saying, listen, we want to include you in the business. We want to give you some shares or we're selling the business and we want to pass on to you. But these are documents that need to be in place because it's a family business. It must stay in the bloodline. And I think that's okay. That's mm-hmm. an okay, I'd feel comfortable with that. I mean, some people wouldn't and that's fine. But you know, if it was my husband's family business and my husband has recently inherited some money, and he wants to make sure that is more protected for our daughter. I'm good with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the um, concepts that that can often be quite useful is things like a lifeboat drill for certain events and certain scenarios. And the the purpose of that is to look at well, what would happen in the circumstances where either somebody passes away or there was a divorce or there was uh, a disagreement in the family. What what is already in place in order to help support you to, to go through that. Is that something, again, that you would help with in, in terms of coaching people to have those conversations?
1: That's a really interesting way to put it, Russ, and I've not described it in that way before as a lifeboat drill, but that's exactly what we do. When we're giving this advice in the first instance, we say to them, okay, the reason we're giving this advice is because if there is an event that involves a breakdown, This is what it would look like. This is what could potentially happen to your business. So people always say, well, you know, they won't be able to attack the business because it's a family business and it's been within the family for years. That's not a reality. Mm. The courts in family law want to protect family businesses. They absolutely want to protect them. But often a priority is need. So if protecting the family business means that the wife and the children have to go into rented accommodation whilst the husband has a a really fantastic business with a great turnover and preserves all the wealth within that business, that's not going to be a reality. Mm. So what I would say to somebody in that situation is, the court will look at what liquidity there is in the business. And if money can be raised, the court will say, you either raise the money, keep the business, or the business will need to be sold. Mm. And ultimately, what the court can do is transfer shares to another party if they think that that is appropriate and the only way to protect the other party. Now, having said that, I don't want it to sound all doom and gloom. If there's been a long relationship or say a short relationship where the assets were built up pre-relationship, so these people did not know each other and predominantly there was a big build up pre-marriage or pre-living together, the court will, if it can, look to preserve that. And it will say, well, if we can preserve that and say that should be ring fenced, then we will do that. They will only not ring fence unless it's required for need. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is these businesses have to be valued properly. So whilst you're starting out, often these businesses, you and I both know, don't have any great value. They -hmm. take a while to accrue their value. And then I meet people and I say, what is your business worth in a divorce situation? They say, well, no, no, it's not worth anything. You know, it's only worth me. I am the business. It's only worth me. And I'm saying, okay, but forensically, then when I get an accountant to forensically analyze it, I kid you not, every time, Somebody has said to me, my business is worth nothing or a small amount. Every valuation has always been greater, Mm. always, always been greater. Now, what they do is they get the accountant to value the business, which is a perfect way to start. But what the accountant does often is a biased scenario in terms of evaluation. And then all the court does is say, we're going to have a single joint expert. That's Mm -hmm. what we're going to do. We're going to have an expert to look at this. So, you know, I always say to people in those situations pre or post, even when we're looking at a lifeboat drill, calculate the value of the business before you go in to the relationship mm. and maybe even talk about it and that will be ring-fenced. So at least you have an idea of where you're at, particularly if you've been running the business for a really long time. Because sometimes when we're looking at divorce situations, we're saying, okay, you've been married 10 years or in a relationship for 10 years, I need to look at what the value was 10 years ago. Of course, nobody knows. Mm. So there are so many things you can do around this lifeboat drill. I love that terminology that can really help preserve and protect your family, business, wealth for the future.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we take a scenario then where a couple are in a relationship looking at either starting a a business together or a business already exists and they're deciding to live together. And you mentioned something called a living together uh, agreement. What does that involve? What sort of things would that cover? Okay, so a living together agreement is a contract between two people
1: and it will set out their personal circumstances, who they are, dates of birth, where they all live, the children, and it will say, we are living together or we are going to start living together. And if the relationship breaks down, this is what's going to happen to our property. So what we have in joint names, like a joint property, joint bank accounts, and it will also comment on a business if you want it to. So for example, there might be somebody, uber wealthy, who's built everything themselves. And and I'm going to be stereotypical. Let's say it's the man who's got everything and he's built it all. He's an entrepreneur. He's done incredibly well. And he's met the love of his life. But he has taken advice and said, OK, I need to protect myself. So he has a chat with her and says, look, I've built all this well for years and years and years. It's my, it came down from my dad and my granddad. And I want to protect it. And my lawyer and my accountant is saying that, really, I need to do this. And I know you're with me for love, not money. I know that's why you're with me, but I do want to put in this living together agreement that you're not going to have anything to do with the business. And therefore, if we break up, you're not going to have a claim on the business. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's what you can do. And now that's a contract, you know, people enter into this or they could set out that you are going to be an employee of the business and you will be paid a fair amount for your work in the business. And if we split up your your employee rights are preserved but our intention would be to part company positively mm-hmm. because it would be very difficult to continue working together so and when we entered into that living together agreement we would take advice from an employment lawyer to make sure that it fitted what, what we're saying in the document or if they were looking at transferring shares within each other and they wanted to equalize a shareholding or create a shareholding for the spouse or new partner Again, what we would say is we would liaise with our corporate team or our commercial team and say this is what they want to do, but ultimately we want to write in a living together agreement. What happens long term if they break down? So there has to be a discussion because if you're giving them something, do you want them to have it for life, even mm-hmm. if you break up, or do you want to be the first port of call to buy those shares back? So we need to make sure, and that's why it works really well with somewhere like Owen Mitchell and I'm sure other law firms, in that it's not just a family team that works in isolation. You work with your co- commercial corporate teams, um, your private client teams to loop it into the will that's going to be drafted as well. You take a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. But this Living Together Agreement is a document which encompasses an agreement as to what should happen if the relationship breaks down to your personal property, your joint property, and your business assets.
0: Uh-huh. And if we extend that scenario then and say that that couple who have lived together for five years and they're deciding to get married, does marriage change the context of the living together agreement? So does that kind of create the need to start talking about prenups or could you incorporate something in the living together agreement that sort of carries through?
1: So living together and getting married are two completely different things. When you live together, there are some rights, but your rights are limited because you're not married. So as soon as you're married, both parties have such extensive rights that the living together agreement almost goes out the window. Now, what we do sometimes in living together agreements is we actually put in there, if we are going to get married, we will do a prenuptial agreement and we will put the terms of this document into a prenuptial agreement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can give some forethought to that really. We can, you know, look down, look down and say, look, we're a committed, we're in a committed relationship. We're just choosing not to get married at the moment. We might get married in the future. So getting married adds a completely different spin on things. So for example, when I talk about a property, once you are married, it doesn't matter who bought the property where the property came from, whose name the property's in, it's the family home. And the court's starting point is, and the law's starting point is, that assets should be divided equally. Mm -hmm. You know that old adage, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, rings true on marriage. Mm -hmm. So when you get married, you have so many rights. So if somebody has a business and they've been in this business forever and a day, once you marry that person... Let's say you've married them for two years, but lived together for 20, 20 years. The court will say, this is a 22-year relationship. Mm-hmm. Or we need to think about the rights that have developed over those 22 years. So it's incredibly important if you move from living together to consider a prenup. But as long as you see a really good lawyer when you're doing that living together agreement, they will advise you about a prenup. Yeah. And they will put a clause in the living together agreement to say, if we get married, this is our intention
0: yeah and the benefit of that the additional benefit of that is that again it doesn't come as a surprise or feel as if there's a a lack of trust in a relationship by suggesting a prenup if it's something that's been discussed from relatively early on in in the relationship now again i'm not suggesting that on first date or second date you say oh by the way if this progresses i would need to sign a a living together agreement and then a prenup and what have you because i get that might scupper the chances sure. of, of date two or three. Absolutely. But, but, but in terms of having it something that is normalized as a conversation, that is just a, a reflection of the reality that not all relationships will last forever. And therefore, it, it kind of normalizes it, doesn't it? It makes it far easier to have that discussion and it, it be a constructive discussion rather than it being something where people are feeling defensive.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. But let's face the reality. It's much easier if you've been burnt once or twice to bring it Mm. up, to be honest. I think it is still hard. And I accept it's still hard with a new relationship. Or you, you know, for some couples, it's going to be a hard thing to do. It just is. I mean, you and I can say objectively, it shouldn't be. And the earlier you have the conversation, the better. But it is difficult. But that's where people like I come in to coach those couples. But also, if they're sitting down in front of their lawyers or advisors such as you or accountants what i would suggest is that the trusted advisor brings it up Mm -hmm. you guys should perhaps consider this or if you know if if my client's the entrepreneur i'm going to say to that entrepreneur you should absolutely consider this Mm -hmm. you know if one of my team at im is doing a will for him and he says oh i've just met somebody then i would expect and i know it would happen that my private client team would say you just need to have a chat with our family lawyer about this so, and we know many accountants um, and other advisors that we are connected with that will always bring in a family lawyer and at least say, at least to one party, if not both of them, guys, you should consider this. Because mm. sometimes there can be wealth on both sides. One party might just have a great inheritance and the other party might have built up their business and they're looking to combine everything together. So inject the inheritance money into the business to grow it even more. Well, they've both got something to win and lose there, haven't they, potentially? Mm. So... Sometimes a prenup can be, or a living together agreement or a postnup can be really important for both parties, not just one. It's all about, I come back to, love is not love on its own. Trust, honesty, respect, financial security. Mm -hmm. It's the same as having the conversation, isn't it, about should we have a joint account or not? I mean, people think long and hard about that sometimes. So let's add another layer to it. But the reality is it shouldn't be hard. You should start the conversation early but I appreciate it's still difficult, but reach out, get some advice. Let us help you. Let us help you make that discussion happen.
0: And within the prenup itself, again, we could probably do an entire episode just on on the prenup side of it, but what what are some of the headlines that can be incorporated within a prenup, particularly in relation to say a, a family owned business that, that helps to protect those parties involved in it?
1: Well, what the prenup would do, a bit like the living together agreement, it would set out who everybody is. It would also have attached to it, as does the living together agreement, a sort of brief synopsis of everybody's financial position at that time, even a rough idea of the value of the business um, and how much cash everybody's got. But it can refer specifically to the business and it can say what the intention is. This is a family business. The intention is to keep it down the bloodline. If we divorce, the intention is that that shareholding will revert back to the business and you will be bought out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if the if the business doesn't have the ability to do that, these are the considerations we will put in place. The other thing that the prenup or a living together agreement, any wealth protection tool could do is say that if we fall out, we're going to go to mediation first. We're not necessarily going to go straight to lawyers. We're not going to go down the court route. We're going to lo- look at alternative alternate dispute resolution basis Mm -hmm. so mediation collaborative law arbitration we're going to think really carefully and try and have a discussion based on this document about what the settlement should look like it can even say things like we're going to get the business or property valued independently by three people before Mm -hmm. we decide on the valuations it can literally the more detail the better really because it can really say this is what we intend to happen Now, the passage of time can cause an issue with these sometimes, sometimes. So I would say put the detail in there, but then keep the result and the solution simple. Mm -hmm. The more complicated the solution, the harder it will be to implement and enforce. But put all the detail in there. This is the business. This is the valuation. These are all our assets. These are our intentions. If we break up, this is what's going to happen. Right. So, you know, I, I did a post lecture agreement for a woman who had built up all her wealth herself. She had a thriving business. Her it was her second husband, love of her life. He was in the business. And what happened ultimately, really sadly and tragically, this man's children, this man had children from a, a previous relationship. That mother passed away. It was terribly sad. Right. But these children did not get on with my client. They assumed that she'd been the breakup of the marriage. So they didn't get on with her at all. So the husband went off to look after these kids quite rightly. And my client was ready to welcome him and the children into the home. She came to see me and said, look, this is what's happened. What if we don't survive? And I said, well, what we need to do is a post because we need to protect your business and the assets that you have built up. So we did a post agreement to say, when you move in, this is what it's going to look like. And she was going to be uber generous. These kids would be put in private school, et cetera, et cetera. It would all be amazing. But if we split up, my business is protected in its entirety. Mm-hmm. That shareholding you have, I am going to buy it for you. We will value it. And we record the value as at today's date at this. And this is how we're going to do the valuation if we split up. Very sadly, and cutting a long story short, the, biz- the family didn't survive. They didn't right. survive. It was really sad. And he tried to challenge the post snap. But the post was done when they were both in good humour on a positive basis. He had independent legal advice. We openly disclosed the finances. He was fully aware that she'd had a first divorce and this was why she wanted to protect it. He had his own money. He was worth Mm -hmm. some money himself, but she was worth considerably more. And the post stood up. They couldn't litigate it. It was cast iron. Mm. And what she actually did was she was slightly more generous on the settlement. And I always said to her, Let's be tight on this agreement. But if you want to be more generous when it comes to be, you can do that on a voluntary basis. Yeah. But let's really, really nail down the protection of your business. Yeah. So that gives you an example of how it can work. Uh,
0: absolutely. And I think what one of the, on the flip side of that, if we imagine that scenario hadn't had the, the post-nup in place, on the breakdown of that relationship, firstly, that there's a, a lot more, than just the heartache of the relationship breaking down because there's potentially this conflict between who's owed what from the business. That has a negative impact on the people involved in that dispute and, and, and those arguments, but also a negative impact on the business because if there's people that are in these sort of ownership systems are fighting and bickering over who should have what, that's in- inevitably going to impact on the business as well. So that starts to to suffer and, and the consequence of that moving further down the line could then be that they either have to stay in business together because they can't come to an agreement or a solution or that the dispute over who um, owns what ends up decimating the value of everything anyway and I think there was a case um, last year, I'm not, not sure the specific name of the case, but where the, the the sort of animosity between the, the two people meant that out of a reasonably sized sort of overall estate that they ended up with about £5,000 each because everything else had to go in fees to settle these the, the um, kind of arguments and, and disputes that they were having. And that when there's a business involved, particularly a family business that's perhaps been passed down through generations. If you're looking at that lifeboat drill and thinking, well, hang on a minute, if this does go south and, and relationships really sour, we could lose the business here. It prompts that thinking around, well, let, let's at least have this discussion.
1: It, you know what? When you talk about things like that, it's a crying shame when all the money's go to the lawyers. Mm. Isn't it just a crying shame? And I think that's wrong. I think we should always look at being commercial and proportionate. And in that case that I told you about, about the wife and her husband and his children, had they have not done the postner, his claim would have been dramatically higher because of these children, because of the needs of him and the children. So you're right in that sense. And also what's really interesting, Russell, you and I have talked about this before, and I think your viewers will be really interested in this. I have done cases whereby it's a great family business and the husband has said, I, I don't want the wife to be involved anymore. And my client has turned around to me and they said, No, 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 I was involved. The wife has said, I was involved in this business from the outset. I want a continuing involvement. I want to be involved. And when he sells it, I want in. Mm. Now, my advice, and I, the court's view, is that if we can clean break people, then we should. If we when the clients say to me, No, we're gonna to continue to be business partners, I always turn around and say, But you if you can't trust each other in a personal relationship. Please tell me how you are going to trust each other in a business relationship. Uh-huh. The two go hand in hand. Yeah. Business partners are personal partners to a certain extent. So I like to extricate one person from the business uh-huh. and get a fair shareholder, get a fair payment. But if there isn't the liquidity in the business, or if that business is being primed and geared for sale, I don't want my client to lose out. Uh-huh. So the court will do will say, the ownership has to stay put if there isn't the liquidity. And we have to map out the shareholder's agreement. We have to map out the di- how it's going to work. And they hang on, get paid their dividends until sale mm-hmm. or until there is a liquidity to buy them out. Now, I always find that really difficult. I always yeah. say that's not great. Now, you, must have turned around to me and said it can be done. Now, yes. I find that interesting.
0: So just picking up on that, there, there was a study done or, or some interviews done by two people, Patricia Cole and Kit Johnson that did a, a study, and they found six factors that would need to be present in order to make the scenario you've just spoken about a a reality. Now, when we go through the six, I think we'll both agree that actually the likelihood of having all of those is, is pretty low, but they interviewed businesses where the business relationship survived and the business survived when the marriage didn't. So it can happen. Now the first one is, is a really important one, which you touched on, which was trust. So trust has to exist, so depending on how the relationship broke down, if there were issues around unreasonable behaviour or infidelity, you know the the kind of stuff that can lead to relationship breakdown, demonstrating how there is an element of trust remaining in that relationship is, is possibly going to be harder. But if they've just got to the point where they go, do you know what, the, the marriage side of things just isn't working, I love working with you in the business but that's kind of it, that's that's as far as it goes. If you're able to amicably agree that, and I, again, I know they're, they're rarer cases, but if you're able to agree that we trust each other enough to run a business together, we just don't wanna be married anymore, that's one of the elements that would need to be present. Now, you would probably have uh, far more experience of couples who are in that position where the relationship is breaking down and there is a business to understand how rare that scenario might actually be
1: yeah no but do you know what it is rare however do you know what even when they're really amicable and i have those cases as well and i have one at the moment even when they're really amicable and they're saying we're going to carry on running the business together i'm saying when one of you gets a new partner you're not going to feel the same and that new partner is definitely not going to feel the same yeah <laughs> so my now new husband is a business partner with his ex-wife uh-huh. and that doesn't sit with me at all uh-huh. so that's what I say to them. It's great that you guys feel like that. It's going to be, you know, please, we believe in love. Go find a new relationship. Make sure you do a prenup if you're going to have a new relationship. But go do all of those things. That new partner might not find it very comfortable at all. So all mm-hmm. you're doing, are you not setting yourself up for a future fall?
0: Potentially, yeah. Uh, and again, I think the, the study is, is highlighting the factors that did exist in these um, particular scenarios. And, and I've not come across one in, in in my personal experience. I've worked with husband and wife teams where they're looking at how to kind of create the boundaries, the, the relevant boundaries between the business and, and the relationship. And that's actually sure. part two. Part two of or factor two of this is um, the appropriate boundaries between business and personal life. Now, when you're married and in business together, it's very natural to have conversations over the kitchen table when you know you're doing your gardening at the weekend or you're out with friends or whatever the 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 conversation the boundaries between the the business and personal life become very blurred and so having that separation and and that compartmentalization of those different roles is something else that, that that is suggested along with and again this is something that may shift over time but there needs to be an emotional connection between the two people. They need to, to, you mentioned about love being respect and honesty. I think that transcends into the relationship that needs to exist post divorce for this to be successful if it is gonna work. Because having friendship and respect as part of that is again, another ingredient that, that could be necessary. Another one is do both parties bring something to that business? So, is it are they genuinely? If if they are a, a husband and wife team, say for example, and the husband's speciality is one half of the business, and the wife's speciality is the other half of the business, it perhaps makes sense to retain the value that those two relationships stay um, within that uh, one business rather than going off if they if they're complementary, and if there's that synergy. And then I think again, this is something, and I, I don't necessarily want to go down the kind of discussing what happens with custody of, of children and, and things like that because I think that's nuanced and it's down to, to individual relationships but for some people in business together husband, what the business has been around longer than the children and there can be an emotional attachment to that business that is as strong as a feeling towards somebody in the family it's like another member of the family and that emotional commitment to the business is something else that would need to be present. The last one is, is equality of roles. It, there, there needs to be this positive gender position within the business. I agree. I don't think there are a huge number of circumstances that will present themselves where those six factors exist. But I think in certain circumstances, if the will is there, it is, it's worth the conversation. But I completely take on board that actually... Yeah. It is probably best. Uh, that's a snapshot. Over time, things change. People change. Sure. Relationships change, and you know it can cause all sorts of trouble. Do
1: you know what, Russ? I'm all about options. So we've got to give the client the options. My gut has been and always will be, from over 20 years here, is that you should have a clean break. You should pull your own canoe. If you can't make your marriage work, the business partnership is going to be so tricky that I think we've seen what we can do to put the boundaries in place. And when you say, I I do want to pick up on that point, often the business is somebody's baby. And you know what? That's okay. Let's be honest and open about it. That doesn't mean they love their children any less. It just means the business is the baby. It's so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I agree it's incredibly important, particularly if it finances the family. It's incredibly important. So we have to give the options we have to assess the risks. I'm not one of those lawyers who just says, here are your options, you choose. I'll give the options, and with the benefit of my experience, I will give advice as to what I think is the best option. But ultimately, the client is the boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they said, listen, we want to stay in a business partnership together, well, Russ, i to call you and say, <laughs> right, this is who you need then. You've done with the lawyers. We've done the divorce. We've sorted out the finances. You're gonna We're equalising the shareholding. Now you need boundaries in place. You need lots of other things from my... Co- corporate commercial uh, colleagues and you need us that's what mm-hmm. i would be
0: saying yeah and uh, yes yeah, so I, again I, I can't imagine there would be a huge number of those circumstances out there but i think it could it can be reassuring to know that that can be the case if if necessary i think if we look at again look at the opposite of that though and go what if people are then stuck in business together as a result who don't want to be but as a result of the fact that none of this planning has been done and how difficult that can be Uh, you take the the scenario of um finding love again and saying well i'm divorced but i still own x percentage of my ex-spouses we're in business together and we have to do certain things we have certain responsibilities it's difficult it's tricky that can put a strain on new relationships as well when that that sort of dynamic exists where ideally you you want a a, a clean break sure Is that, again, perhaps a signal for for families who are are listening to this to say, let's just look at what would happen if there was a relationship breakdown. Would it mean our son-in-law or daughter-in-law all of a sudden becomes uh, entitled to some potential ownership of this business? We we don't necessarily want that to happen. And then, as you said at at the outset, talk to your advisors about what can be done to protect everybody in that situation. Because it might be that the son-in-law or daughter-in-law doesn't actually want to be, doesn't want anything to do with the business, but that's the only way it can be resolved.
1: Yeah, no, the reality is if you're getting divorced, you have to look at all of the assets, the whole assets on both sides of the fence. So what husband's got, what wife's got, or, you know, husband and husband or wife and wife, you know, what everybody's got, what have you got, whether you own it yourself, together, or with somebody else? So if one party doesn't have anything to do with the family business, it still has to be disclosed. I mean, often people come to me and say, yeah, I'm not, I don't need to tell you about the value of the business. They've had nothing to do with it. You know, they're not, gonna, they're not getting anything of that. And I'll say that's not the reality. If you've been together for 10, 15 years, the starting point is equality on the finances. So we need to look at the value of the business, even though they're not an employee, shareholder or anything. We need to look at the value of the business and of the other assets. And it might be that I might say, well, listen, actually, what makes sense is one party keeps the business assets, And the other party keeps the property and cash assets. And there are ways and means we can do it. Yes, of course, there's a claim. I will always say there's a potential claim on the business. But can we negotiate it? Can we look at the other assets? And what we might say is that, you know, a a negotiation piece, which can be great, is that you're keeping the copper-bottomed assets. You know, you're keeping those. I'm keeping the business assets, which are always more risky. Always, always more risky. So this is a really good deal. There should be a financial clean break here because I'm keeping the riskier business assets. Even if the business is doing well now, with the very nature of the word business involves risk. Mm-hmm. Whether, whereas you're keeping all that money in the bank and all that cash, which is in bricks and mortar, that's that's copper-bottomed. Yeah. You know you can trade in that today and tomorrow and forever. So negotiation is so important. Mm-hmm. So, And I'll give you another example, actually. We've been through this pandemic and obviously business assets, or, you know, so many assets have dropped in value, it's an opportunity. Mm. So with some business clients who are looking to divorce, we can actually be quite strategic and say, look, genuinely, these business assets are low. So let's do a deal, you know? Uh And actually, we can find sometimes favorable deals can happen for people on both sides of the fence because somebody wants to retain their business and wants to retain the risk. And actually, they feel like they'll be able to rebuild it and they want to do it without their spouse anymore.
2: Mm.
1: Negotiation, settlement. Look at the bigger picture. But the reality is, particularly if you're married, we can't ignore the business asset. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're going to become a shareholder. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden your business is going to be taken down. You know, the court always says, you know, we don't want to shoot the goose that lays the golden egg. We don't want to do that. If it's mm-hmm. if it's the income generation, we don't want to get rid of that. We need to preserve the wealth for the family as a whole. But how are we going to do it? And how are we going to pull it apart ultimately and make some divisions so people can paddle their own canoes Mm -hmm. there and i'm always going to come back to this word russ because it's the key word options Mm -hmm. advice options
0: yeah and i think that ties into again we mentioned it at the it's kind of beginning of the show is around the discussions and and the um, use of family governance to help guide these discussions so if as a family you have decided even if it was 10 15 20 years ago as part of an exercise to 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 create a family charter or family constitution that the intention is for the business only to be owned by direct descendants or or, and and the bloodline as you say that again makes it easier to have the discussions around prenups to have those discussions around living together arrangements because it's something that's kind of it's although the the family charter wouldn't necessarily be legally binding if the family consider it in that way and, and accept it in that way, it then becomes similar to what you were saying, which I think is great advice, is getting your advisers to, to raise it it's it's almost akin to that it's not me saying this this is the it's the way everybody in our family has to have these discussions with their potential future future wives or husbands this is what what we need to do and it can diffuse that situation and and remove some of that emotion and and potential feeling of being attacked
1: and it can make it easier for people yeah it makes it so much easier for people to say this this is this is what the family does this is how we do it this is how we roll And it's there in black and white and it has been forever and a day. Mm. So we're going to have to go. And isn't it interesting, Ross, somebody coming in, first of all, that you'd say you're marrying for love, not money. But if we sign up to this, we're going to benefit from some income from the family business. We're going to benefit. Our lifestyle is going to be improved from a company car from the business or the business is going to pay for this because the, the charter says as long as you sign up to a prenup or a living together agreement, as long as you accept that the money is ultimately going to go down the bloodline, these are the benefits that you can have. Mm -hmm. Isn't that nice? Isn't that great? You know, if you want to be, if you, if you want a bit piece of the pie, then you've got to pick the right fork up. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're saying, isn't it? That's what we're saying. We're saying, get involved, but let's do it correctly. So everybody knows where they stand. Yeah, What's wrong with that? That's, That's good. That's sensible. And there's, there is some romance in that because that's part of the honesty and respect piece as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And I think it's you should be able to talk to your partner about money. Yep. And even just that, forget talking about a prenup, a post or a business. Sometimes people can't even just talk about money. Yeah. Let's start talking, people. Communication yeah. is key.
0: I was going to make that exact point is, is the highlighting of everything that we've talked about today comes back to – The importance of communication Uh, and i think uh, you and i are of the same opinion that communication around these things should be something we all do better but but we also recognize how hard it is to try and start that conversation around well we know this kind of wealth exists let's Let's talk about how it's going to impact us and, and, and what we need to do in order to protect everybody within it. It can be a difficult conversation starter. Um, and I, I guess, again, what you were saying about the coaching element of, of the work that you do is, is helping people find ways to raise those conversations without it being, right, let's sit you down one-on-one, face-to-face. I want to talk about money now because, again, that can put people yeah, no, on the back would, foot a little. That would work. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you, Russ. You and I are of the same mind of this. Communication, communication, communication. Communication doesn't just help you get success in your business and professional life, but it also will in your personal life. Mm. And if the two are entwined, it becomes even more important. But not just communication with each other, it's communication with a third party, whether that be your trusted advisor or your, you know, your, your family business advisor, your accountant, your lawyer, whoever that person is. I always say this, you can't get everything from one person. We need you talk about the lifeboat, I talk about a board of directors. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not just talking formally, officially, but I'm talking informally. Yes. Who are the people that you trust that you surround yourself with that you can have a discussion about? Uh this openly honestly get some good solid support and then go in with your eyes open
0: yeah fantastic and i guess as a as a closing point is there any sort of uh, a summary that you would give in terms of what we've spoken about today so the importance of communication obviously underlines all of this but we, we know that divorce can be a very difficult time for people firstly the couple involved but also those people around that that couple and children and parents tend to be affected by it and impacted by it as well. What what sort of closing thoughts would you offer to people on the, the importance of planning for such events?
1: Divorce is a really hard, tough, expensive thing to go through. If you want to avoid the trauma of that, think early on about wealth protection tools. Or if you haven't thought early on, Pause and reflect as you would when you're considering your business and the next steps. Consider your personal affairs and your personal admin in the way that you would review your will. Stop and think about what do we have in place personally and do we need to have anything in place? And at the very least, have a discussion, take some advice and consider it. Because if the worst were to happen, a divorce is traumatic. Let's try prevention in the first instance. So just talk to your lawyer, to your accountant, to your trusted advisor, and just start the conversation.
0: Fantastic. And if people wanted to get in touch with you to start that conversation, what's the best way of doing that?
1: They can go on the website and find me on there, zarapabani at irwinmitchell.com. Drop me an email. Always happy to have an initial chat. Obviously, no charge, no obligation to instruct. Just want to have a conversation. Give me a call and we'll do that.
0: Fantastic. And we will put links to that in the show notes to make that easy for people. But thank you, Zara, for your um, expertise, your input and and the conversation. It's been a really enjoyable one on, uh, again, what we know can be quite a tough topic. And I think our audience will really enjoy it. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Russ. been a real pleasure.
0: for listening i really do appreciate it if you found the show helpful please consider leaving a review on itunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter if what i've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business i can help i provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes so please get in touch if you'd like to know more head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with russ until next time take care